There we both are, mm. together, driving off the cliff like... Together Belmont at last. <laughs> My name is Will Hindmarch. I'm a writer, narrative designer, graphic designer, and game designer. My name is Nathan Paletta. I'm a game designer, self-publisher, and graphic artist. Nathan, what are we talking about on the Design Games podcast this time? This time we're talking about both the process and the product of iteration in your game design. Nathan, what even is an iteration? An iteration? Yeah. As opposed to the process of iteration? Yeah. Well, I am not going to go to the dictionary for this one. Uh, I have it open in front of me. Oh, good. So you can fact check me. Yeah. My understanding of an iteration is just a version of a thing. Like each iteration of a thing is a different version of the thing. I think dictionarily speaking, that's correct in the sense that actual usage backs that up. And mm-hmm. that's certainly how I've used it. But there's a one of these made iteration as a process click for me mm-hmm. was realizing that the, that the term iteration means that the thing itself that results from it from the iterative process. Uh, but it's also that an iteration is each repetition of the process, each rep. So in other words, on your diamond diagram, mm-hmm. every Diamond is an iteration, not just the thing that results at the end of it is an iteration, but what it results at the end of it, the thing that you pass through the validation point mm-hmm. is also an iteration. Oh, sure, sure. Okay. Right? Yeah. So in other words, reiterate is in some ways redundant because to iterate means to say it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of those things that redundancy sometimes just mean emphasis. Because to me, the, the, iterative, the iteration process, if it generates a single thing, and that is this iteration of the thing, a, like a draft where iteration becomes synonymous with the first, second, third draft, sure, or whatever, sure. it's a different uh-huh. iteration of the thing was holding me back to understanding that when you think of iteration as being that entire process from thing to thing, right. from draft one to draft two, yes. the first iteration is everything leading up to and resulting in the first draft. And then the next iteration is everything that starts with that first iteration, the first draft, and the process that includes turning the first draft into the second draft. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd agree with that. That's that's certainly- I think um, it means both at the same time. I was just saying yeah. that's what, yeah. No, you're, you're being more precise about it. Which I think is is great because process is what's important. Right. Conceptualizing each iteration of my process as each standalone release is doing yourself a disservice, not to get into a definitional, but like in my head, that's just under the iteration process. When you were going through the design sequence, you're iterating. Right. And then... A single iteration, yeah, is one of those diamonds. Kind of results from that. Sure, yeah, yeah and, and results what, in a thing. And one of the things that's, the reason that's important to me is that it helped me externalize and internalize something that I had only internalized, which mm-hmm. was, so somebody goes into their workshop, and you can hear the hammers and the saws and everything, and then they come out with the next draft. Mm-hmm. And as long as they were in the workshop and it was mysterious, I didn't fully appreciate what iteration actually meant. Sure, well, because right? that's the thing is you're failing a lot yeah. during that process. Yeah. Not to add another element to our diagram, but... If the kind of ideal of this kind of sequential process is just like a little line that goes through the center of all of the diamonds, mm-hmm. where it's just a straight line that goes from the starting to the finishing and you're going through each of those gates, gates, yeah. but it's just like kind of a, a straight unbroken line. In reality, in each diamond, that line, if that's like what you're actually doing at the moment, mm-hmm. is broken and going in loops and right. tying up itself and down, in knots, and, yeah. up and down, goes back a little bit and then comes back. Gets a running start, right. trips and falls down. Um, and this is, and that's just represents all the things like you write the same paragraph three times because you can't quite get the language right or you're like oh 
do these die mechanics work at scale, right? Like they work for two people. Do they work for 10 people? Oh, they don't work for 10 people. Okay, what can I do to make it work for 10 people? All right, do they still work for two people? Oh, now they don't work for two people. Like all of that stuff is in your process. And then once you've worked through all of those issues that are kind of the the short-term issues, the things Mm -hmm. that are right in front of you, then you can pull those down into a thing and have that be like, all right, now we can play test this. Right. Doing things like, uh, that's a great example, the dice mechanic where I'm like, well, so it doesn't work with eight people. It doesn't work with 10 people. Should I just say the game is for two to seven players? Yeah. That kind of stuff, right? But I always felt to me not like iterating, but <laughs> a like- A game for odd players. A, a game for odd numbers of players. But was realizing that I was f- thinking of a lot of the work I was doing as being pre, like preparing to iterate. Right. When yeah. really I was already doing it. That's one of the big things that I actually, I think that I learned in in school uh, and that I've gotten better about accepting is that there's no such thing as like preparatory work. It's all just work. Right. Preparatory work counts as work. Yeah. Preparatory work counts. Like you're not losing time or losing effort if you're doing prep for the thing. You're just starting the thing. Right. And you can tell, I mean, I think everyone has a different threshold for when you are doing busy work, right? Like when you're like, I am going to spend three hours choosing a font. Like <laughs> at some point in the process, that's three hours well spent. But if you haven't even decided on what the game is about yet, that's probably three hours that right. you can wait to spend the, later in the process. Those three hours, in my experience, as an example, usually end up getting spread out over the length of the game. Right. <laughs> they don't have to do them all at once at the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but spending three hours coming up with names for factions in your game yep like that's those are important and are going to echo throughout the rest of the work then that's not time ill spent lists of names is a great example too i like to use that for fiction writing as an example which is where if you find that you name your character the right name for your character or your city or your faction or whatever it is is the 13th one you came up with you can look at that one of two ways those first 12 were a waste or those first 12 were essential to make to getting to the 13th one. And if mm-hmm. I hadn't written the first 12, I wouldn't have thought of the 13th one, right? Just because you didn't use them mm-hmm. doesn't mean they were wasted. Or that you didn't use them the way that you thought you were going to when you wrote down the first 12. This also gets back to the uh, the idea of um, your first idea is never your best idea. Right. Which is a, not actually true sometimes. But it's but is often enough not your first idea that you should check. <laughs> right. But that's, that's the shorthand. And again, that comes from some of my school stuff. The, the concept is that if you stop with your first idea you're not giving yourself the chance to find the best idea. Even if your first idea is your best idea, the only way you'll know is if you do some more, more right. make more ideas. List five more, and if, if, if yeah. two through four suck, then you know, yeah. So one exercise that I both do not do reliably, but try to make myself do because it is very valuable, is once I feel like I'm done with any kind of discrete thing, whether mm-hmm. it's names or, I don't know, concepts for different categories of things, anything where you're making like a big list of things. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to make two more. Even though it's like, but I've already, I already wrote down 20 things. Like there aren't two more things, but there are two more things. And sometimes again, that validates that the first 20 things are fine. Right. And sometimes it's that 22nd thing. That's like, oh, that's actually the good one. And yeah. that's titles, uh, names oh, yeah. of things, groups of, of items or locations, that kind of stuff. I guess you can you can get trapped in that a little bit. If you're not confident about what you have that's working and you're creating new things just for the sake of creating new things, that's a little bit of a trap. But I think anything where you're spending a lot of time making a list, spending a little extra time to make a couple extra entries, yeah, that it's just a good exercise to, to keep you keep you pushing, keep you pushing forward with how you think about things. 
titles are a great example because titles, the difference between the Spectre's Wrath and the Wrath of the Spectre, right? Do I get to write that down twice? Is that two different items on the list? Well, you decide, but the point is that that's another way of kind of questioning, right? And you're like, well, I think so. I think the spell is called the Wrath of the Spectre. And then you realize at the table everybody's calling it Spectre's Wrath. This is part of the iteration process is mm-hmm. we're like, well, so even just moving those words around, that's still iteration, right? You're still doing something. Mm. If, it's, if, if it's responding to something that happened, and it's not that you got it wrong in the first place, whatever. Don't worry about that. Because sometimes people just talk faster at the table. <laughs> it's, it's the equivalent of if you pick up a coin on the ground and you find it. See, this happened to me just yesterday. You pick it up and you go, oh, it's a penny. There's Lincoln. I now know everything about this coin. Well, turn it over first, <laughs> right? <laughs> look at the other side and then get a sense. Oh, no, look, it says one cent. It doesn't have the, the, the monument on it. It's, mm-hmm. it's an older penny. I could have looked at the date, but it was all scuffed or something, right? Whatever you're doing, whether it's a title, the list you're making, go ahead and you're not wasting time to turn it over in your hands a little bit. Yeah. To set it on the table, go get a soda, go make dinner, whatever, come back and look at it again. Mm-hmm. That's, you'll know when you're procrastinating. You can tell. You'll feel it. Mm-hmm. Right? You're not wasting time doing this kind of stuff. And that's one of the examples to me that I do with the list, like the two things in the list, is I don't close a list in my head until almost the same thing where I say two more. But I may say two, two more today. So I don't essentially shut sure, the, shut yeah, the list, yeah. right? I'll say, mm-hmm. I'm going to go make a sandwich. And almost always when I do that, when I'm making this kind of list for titles or names or something, I'll go away. And usually I don't even get the bread out before I go, oh, 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 oh. And I come back with another thing to put on the list. Yeah. But just getting up and walking around will help. And that's one of the reasons I think that turns work into procrastination is when you won't you won't get up and walk around for two minutes. You're just like, I'm just going to sit here until, nope, the right font is in here. I'm going to look for four <laughs> hours till I find that font. Yeah. There's a point in which you go, if I'm just going to sit here, I, I can work on other, I can, I can get actual work done. Right. And if you're just doing that, go ahead and part of the iterating process to me is stepping back so you can see the whole thing. Right. Yes. Enough that you can get a sense of because if you just work on, say, the combat system or you just work on this attribute or you work on what am I going to call these spells for five sessions worth of, of work and you don't step back and say, hey, you know, I never noticed, you know, that all my factions are ings or all my factions are all my spells are X of the Y. X of the Y or all my magic items are mm-hmm. the blanks blank. Yeah. That kind of reexamination counts as part of the process. That's important, I think, especially with, with, with when we get into iteration as opposed to the initial design mm-hmm. is going back and realizing yeah. what it is that you've done that you think of as being locked or that you hadn't thought thought as being locked, but you realize I'm actually perfectly happy with that. But with, with, with for now, I'm going to call all the attributes stay. I'm not going to put the attributes back up on the lift in the workshop. I'm going to say that they're done for this iteration. In the early part of the process, you're kind of iterating on the concept, right? right? Because you're expressing the concept through the mechanics and through the setting, through the characters, through all the all the elements we've talked about previously. Uh, later in the process, as you say, you lock some things down because they're this is what the game is about. Here's the kinds of characters that are in it, whatever. And then you start iterating on certain aspects. That's one of the things where the flexibility of the idea is to your benefit. And it's also a reason why I, I, I think this is a, a more apt term than like revision for me personally is iterating on, I'm going to iterate on the spell list. I'm going to, I made up all these spells and here's the ones that have worked in play testing been great. And here's ones that I haven't seen the table yet. And here are some opportunities that I hadn't seen yet before our last play test. So now everything else is fine and locked. I have my structure for how spells work and here's all the, currencies that go into them and here's mm-hmm. all the structure of the effects that they can have what else can i do with spells right iterate on that for the next part of my process right and then at the next play test i have all right guys everyone play wizards so that we can make sure to get every school of spells kind of checked out uh, and then the next thing you can be like okay spells have some things to change but we're going to leave that for a while and we're going to work on the stronghold you know how, how you build your stronghold right rules because those are still unformed and you can kind of rapidly iterate on that. So your your process kind of 
over time turns from I'm going to work on the game to this part of the game's good. This part of the game needs work. Mm-hmm. This part of the game I still need to explore. Right. And then you're iterating on those certain elements. It's interesting to me how the iteration brainstorming relationship or iter- iteration mm-hmm. idea drawing expanding you know relationship works because I think very often I have a tendency to when you picture the diamond where you're bringing in stuff and then refining it out. I tend to focus in iteration implicitly, not not in a any good way, but I bring this up because it's a risk for other people, on it as the narrowing of the diamond. Mm-hmm. But it's absolutely not. It's the whole diamond. Yeah. So that it, it both yeah. expands and contracts. Contracts. Yeah. So as that that part where you're like, I'm just gonna think up ten spell ideas that will test my spell system to the limits. That will to see if I don't know it, what happens if I have a thing that summons a hundred horses. Will I just break? Will the dice fall apart? Mm-hmm. Will the whole thing break? Whatever. And you, and, and you might start with that from a math perspective. You might start with that from a fiction perspective and say, yeah, hundred horses. That sounds cool. I summon a whole stampede. Is that really different than some, summoning ten in this game? Like, yeah. or or does it break some part of the game from fiction to prose to to setting to whatever? Uh, and I think that's really important. The idea that the whole diamond is included because. Iteration is not necessarily a goal-directed process. You're iterating forward, but not necessarily knowing exactly what you're going to end up with. Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm going to get this spell list to a point where I can summon 100 horses, right? It's checking stuff, getting an idea and seeing if it'll work. Not necessarily like, for example, this is true, and this was taught to us early in, in anthropology school, that evolution is not a goal-directed process. Mm-hmm. Giraffes don't set out to have long necks. They end up with long necks right. as a result of the giraffes that make it. Designs can evolve and designs can be designed. And most designs, in my experience, do both. But the idea of it's, it's good to have a goal. It is not essential to have a goal. Mm-hmm. And eventually you will end up with a goal because you will start realizing I have to choose between these two kind of games that I'm building towards. Well, your goal can be positive in the sense of I am trying to achieve X. Mm. Or it can be, I don't know if negative is the right word, but in a negative space where the goal is I want to avoid yeah. X. And then there's also just the sake of what else can I do with this? Right. Right. And right. that's kind of the least goal directed and maybe the most surprising. What else can I do with insomnia in right. this game? Right. Uh, and then you, you hit on fighter pilots and then you start thinking, okay, so fighter pilots have certain restrictions. Mm-hmm. Now I have a restriction and right. I start and the diamond starts to narrow again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then like, what is the outer limit of what being a fighter pilot means in this game? Is it literally... In right. this bomber jet, or right. can it be? You can iterate on that concept. Is it planes and submarines and anything else that can be piloted? Right. Is it just planes? Is it just one plane? Is it anything with a crew? Anything with just one person? Anything? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so going through that whole process, even just projecting out, mind mapping out, what does this mean for the game? What does this mean for the game? And even if you come back to your original point, which is like, yep, World War Two bomber jets. Right. That's that's the best thing for this game. Now you know. Yep. Which is important, and when you get feedback that's like, what about in submarines? You can be like, well, this is why it's not in submarines. Right. Or you can be confident saying, that's not this game. That's a different game. And also maybe you found something in that iteration process of like, exactly. let's not be super historical about the number of people who are in this jet. Right. Because that's not really important. Yeah. We've, we've decided that we've kind of invented a two-seater plane for this game that is quasi-historical and never saw battle in this field or whatever. Mm-hmm. But we've decided that it did in this game because it allows for two players. Right. And, <laughs> yeah, and now whatever. that we have that, like, I get to build this whole fictional piece about this ge- about this plane that never existed. Yeah. And now that's part of the setting. Yeah. And now that's part of the hook into the game is, like, alt-history where these two-seater planes existed or whatever, right? right? right like, right, that's right. just a, an example of both mapping out the terrain for yourself, finding the confidence in your earlier decisions, yeah. finding new decisions that's that learning. maybe you hadn't thought about yeah yeah and then finding opportunities for new things that you might be able to help out your game 
realizing that, like you say, that the line that's moving through the progress from left to right through that diagram. I think I think the diamond is an absolutely apt metaphor because it expands and contracts, but it won't always feel that way. Sometimes you'll feel mm-hmm. like, okay, I've, I've, I'm gathering a bunch of stuff I know I'm not going to use, right? Especially when you're at that point where you're like, have I just started? Wait, does that mean I'm just I've just hit the contraction point? Don't fret about it. Well, a lot of it is hindsight. Yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. what that's what the validation period is for us. For stopping and looking back and realizing is my diamond so lopsided that I gathered so much stuff and didn't contract, you know, like enough. Yeah, you can only map your own process in hindsight yeah is is my opinion well that's part of what the point between the diamonds is for right yeah but also like even once the project is done stepping back and being like i mean that could be a valuable exercise to kind of put a visual on it and be like in this phase i was doing it's not even a diamond it's just like a big oblong of all the stuff (laughs) i was doing and then it came down to this play test which went terribly because i never actually pulled it together right right so that wasn't really a validation point that was just where it started to narrow like right it might be valuable for you to, to maybe do that for a project or two and be like, you know, how did this work? Or even just an iteration or two, right? Yeah. Just a point where you say, since the last play test, I've literally decided that I'm going to add, I'm going to add and subtract five spells and see which ones make the cut yeah, or whatever, right? And mm-hmm. so you say, well, the diamond expands five points up and then it contracts by five points mm-hmm. and I see which spells made the cut, right? I mean, that can be very cold and calculating. And I think the trick is not to do it on the level of the game. But to do it on the level, I mean, maybe I mean, it might work depending on the complexity of your game. But that it's okay to do it on a smaller subset to be mm-hmm. like, I'm just working on skills this time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing about that definition of, of iteration, when I was looking it up, and it's one of those things that I think is implicit, but is good to make explicit, is that it's incremental. Mm-hmm. It's not that there's ever an iteration where like, and the whole game happened in this iteration. I'm sure somewhere there's an anecdote where it's almost essentially true that an entire game changed into the perfect diamond, the perfect gem of itself in one iteration. Mm-hmm. But there's almost no way that was the first iteration. Right. <laughs> the fact that it's incremental to me is also what is very accessible about it is that you're like, because when you combine the fact that it might be goal directed, but the point is not necessarily in an iteration is to reach this goal in this one hour that I sat down to meddle with the skills. Right. Yeah. I'm getting closer to it. Did I get closer to it? Mm-hmm. Yes. It then can I iterated. It can help to give yourself deadlines, obviously. Yeah. But the whole idea of any work that you're doing on the game is helpful, even if it doesn't turn into anything, because it's getting you to the place where you will have things that turn into right. anything. You may arrive at a completely wonderful, lovely little game after many iterations through many, many increments, and you say, I just need two more increments and it will be reach my goal. And you say, except all evidence is that I'm going to keep inventing goals or moving the goal or the, or the goal's just always going to be one iteration away. And you stop and you realize, you know what, the, the game is essentially, it's releasable, it's great, I like it, and my goal was maybe unrealistic <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And you go, uh, I think, and this is why games have second editions sometimes, mm-hmm. is because you don't know and can't wait to find out how to reach that last little hurdle. Yeah, sometimes you just need the uh, time and distance and play experience of here's a thing. It's been out for two years. Yeah. Oh, this is how to make it into its final form. And that wasn't a reason to not release it two years ago. You right. weren't wrong to release it two years ago. Mm-hmm. It's kind of it's sort of like we talked about in the Game Chef episode, which is that idea that the Game Chef thing is ready to be submitted. That doesn't necessarily mean that you are ready to then just check for typos and publish it. That's almost never going to be true. But it's also that those game shifts you say that where the title stays the same, but there are multiple iterations or versions of the mm-hmm. game. No one of those was wrong to be out necessarily. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, so we figured out how to do uh, this game with cards instead of dice, and so we made really beautiful cards. And it's not exactly a second edition; it has the same name. It's a, mm-hmm. but it is a different iteration of that game. Yeah, yeah. One other thing about iteration that I want to point out is that sometimes you will overshoot mm-hmm. the thing. And the process will include rolling back to 
to where you were a couple a couple cycles ago. Right. It is possible to over-design things, right? It's like, okay, I have this game. Um, it's great. I think it works. But like this, this, and this are still very loosey-goosey. So I'm going to like tighten those down and put a bunch of rules on them and add this card drawing <laughs> mechanic. And then you go, you play test it, and, and it's no fun at all. And, all it, this, and it runs almost even without the players. Yeah, it, it runs beautifully <laughs> without anyone having any, any input into it. The card drawing engine just generates a story all by itself. It's great. And then you're like, oh, that's but that's not fun. That's not fun. And you're reviewing it. You're like, where, you know, I guess I added all this card stuff. Well, what if I just take it back out? Oh, it's fun again. Like, <laughs> that happens. Yeah. Um, you know, you can have a great idea and it's not right for the game. Right. And it comes late enough in the process that you already have a game. An example of that to me, um, as specific as I can get. So I've got 10 spells. I've got 10 skills. And I add five. And I say I'm going to take five away because I want to keep 10, but I don't know if I have the right 10. Let's say you add five, and then you take away literally just the five you added, which is what a rollback is, right? Where you go, okay, I'm back at the original list. That was just a verification. That was a val- that was a check. Yeah, you're right? just that checking basically. Yeah, and maybe maybe that check took two play tests because you were like, oh, you know what is the original skill list has actually been working better. But I learned that whole time that this way of describing the skills when there were twelve of them mm-hmm. that works better, and I'm just going to roll it back with what I learned. And the rule stays the same, but I'm going to redescri- I'm going to change how I just tell people about it or whatever. Yeah, you still learn something maybe, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just literally undo a thing and say, <laughs> "Nope, turns out I had had it as close as it was ever going to get in the first, you know, in that in iteration eight and iteration nine thing was just teaching me to roll a pack." That's the thing is you will still learn something. Again, it's not like that work was wasted because you learned. Oh right. no, I already got there. I was at my destination. All I have to do is turn around and go back to it. Right. And that's super valuable to learn because sometimes you don't know that you're at your destination. Sometimes it's a big relief. How often, what's the hardest you've ever had to work to learn a lesson from an iteration? Like, Mm -hmm. because the the trick to me that we talk about with this is we say, Mm -hmm. you'll learn something. I think it's true. I mean, it has to be true. Otherwise, you're not, you should, that's part of the iteration process is the examination to realize, not only that you're learning the right lesson, who can say, but is it, if you have an iteration, like, that was completely inert. That always is a sign to me to go, no, it wasn't. Something must have happened. Mm -hmm. What is the lesson that I'm going to take away from this? Even if the lesson was, I over-designed, I should just roll it back. Have you ever had a really bad Mm -hmm. experience Getting the lesson out of a, a step or a brainstorm or an iteration or a play test. It's hard because in retrospect, everything is so gelled together. It's exactly. kind of hard to remember at the time. Especially the ones in which you feel like you didn't learn anything. Yeah. You go, well, then I probably just flushed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I probably didn't hold on to that. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, I don't know if it was, I'm sure that there's been other things about this, but the thing that comes to mind for me is for Masks of the Mummy Kings. I had a play test session of it. It went pretty well. I was still not sure whether or whether or how much PvP interaction there should be. Mm-hmm. So there was like a little bit, but it wasn't really well realized and didn't really work well with the rest of the game. And we spent pretty much the entire post-game discussion talking about like how can this PvP work? And what I took away from it was basically like, well, we spent a lot of time talking about it. There are a lot of good ideas. And honestly, the best answer is that there's no PvP in the game. Valuable feedback, well taken, right. apt, on point. It will honestly be easier for me, just from the design side, like just functionally easier and make for a more focused game if that whole element that we just spent an hour and a half trying to work out. It's just not called into just, question. It's just not in there. Yeah. Yeah. So it focuses the game. What would happen if you, in a sequel, were to add it back in? Like the question, because it sounds to me like what is that by uh, by by starting down by opening the door to PvP, 
it drew, drew a lot of attention to PvP, mm -hmm. and therefore away from the parts of the game that were really kind of of interest to you, mm -hmm. right? How would you respond if you, in a year for, a year after Mummy Kings is out, said, "Oh, I, now I know there's a mm -hmm. sequel, which is or an expansion or whatever it is that is the PvP expansion." Mm -hmm. As a designer, are you prone to like, would you beat yourself up because you released it without that in the first place, or would you be like, "Oh, good, so it's finally settled, and now I have the second thing," or would you just not even approach it? I would view it as a different game. Interesting. That's just set in the same world, yeah. right? Mass of the Mummy, Mummy Kings does this, and stabbing each other of the Mummy Kings <laughs> does this, and it would probably actually have to be built a little differently because if the if the PvP is going to be in there, then it needs to like really work. Which was the issue I was having was like it was there, but it was like a gentleman's game, right? It was mm -hmm. like, well, if you really want to do this, you can, but you only should if like everyone's going to you know going to be on board. And but that kind of clashes with. I think the, the personality profile of the person who wants to explore that. Yeah. Where if it's one of those things where if you have one person at the table that really wants to do PvP and other people don't, it's not going to be fun for anyone. Right. Right. Unless the game channels that and makes that possible. So. And in a way, having it present in any capacity, right? Mm -hmm. Especially in a minor capacity. Well, that's the thing. Raises and the question without actually answering, giving the, yeah. the tools and to answer it. And if it's in there in like this neutered kind of like, yeah. you can do this, but doesn't really do anything, that's more frustrating for the person who wants to do it. And then everyone yeah. else, yeah, and then that falls into, into everyone else. So Why is this even here? Yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, so for me, the answer was, it's not there, but then if it is going to be there, then the entire game is going to need to be able to support characters trying to steal treasure from each other behind each other's backs. Betrayal in the Tomb of the Mummy Kings. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not only was that a, a great decision, but I actually also really like the way that it leaves the door open to you or somebody else down yeah. the line that comes to you and says, hey, Nathan, I think I've got a group that really wants... Because part of the thing with, with that kind of PvP, right, is that also people want it to be surprising. Mm -hmm. That you're like, oh, I, I turned on you. But it, depending on if you make that system a certain way, it's never going to be surprising because it's right. going to be, I now invoke, as we always do, the part of the game where well, I turn on everybody. <laughs> and to be... Right. And and like to be kind of specific about it, the mechanics of Masks of the Mummy Kings are very transparent the gm has like a little bit of their stuff is a little bit hidden but the players all literally can see what everyone else has all their tokens and all their tokens yeah, and, yeah. and all that stuff so doing pvp without hidden information for me is very difficult I, it would feel in mass of the mummy kings like a foregone conclusion that you can look and say well if i do this to you right then doug will do this to me yeah or like doug and or, we're all screwed yeah or if it's like a, a thing where it's like you can spend these tokens to do this thing and you can spend these tokens to stop this person from doing this thing well at any stage in the game you can just be like all right i have more than you and that's this is right. the exchange rate so i can betray you and you can't do anything about it and at one point right. it's kind of not really a betrayal it's certainly not dramatic a betrayal. Exactly. Yeah. It's not dramatic. And then people start hoarding resources and the game is about spending resources. Like right. these are all the design elements that work for the main thrust of the game that I'm working against to introduce PVP. Right. So then for me, my you know, my first steps to to figure out betrayal at, at the Tomb of the Mummy Kings is then like, okay, so does everyone have hidden resources instead of public resources? That might be the first step. Right. And that might be enough. I don't know. There's a point at which the forking in iteration. Oh, yeah. And that moment when you realize that you, I mean, you kind of can't, I mean, you can design two games at once, but you can't really walk two directions at once. So a game can't be two games at once, really, because mm -hmm. it's one, it is a game. It is that game. And so you reached a fork and chose a path, and it's not a judgment on the other path. Yeah. I mean, it's I think that's knowing, a fun game. Yeah. Uh, if it ever exists. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving stars or a review at your favorite podcast dispensary.
If you have questions or comments for us about the Design Games Podcast, come check out our Google Plus community. You can just search for Design Games Podcast on Google Plus. There's also a link at designgamespodcast.com. What do people even say at the end of a podcast? What happens if it just 